Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include California's insurance crisis, my interview with J.D. Powers' Craig Martin on the U.S. Mortgage Servicer Satisfaction Study, and uncertainty in the capital markets. Today's podcast is brought to you by Simple Nexus, an Encino company and award-winning developer of mortgage technology for modern lenders. Simple Nexus leads the pack in mortgage technology innovation, continuously introducing new features that enable lenders to support borrowers at every step of the homeownership journey. Learn more at simplenexus.com. For something to really start your synapses firing on a Monday morning of a five-day work week, the CEO of the California MBA, Susan Malazzo, wrote me a note saying the latest effort to pass legislation to address California's insurance crisis has died. Assembly Democrats felt that the bill favored insurance companies over consumers, and they wanted to add a provision that would prohibit insurance companies from not renewing any business through the end of next year. With no real guarantee of when the commissioner would do the emergency regulations or the contents of those regulations, it amounted to a poison pill. A poison bill. Several top insurance companies, like Farmers, State Farm, and Allstate, have reduced their footprint in California over the last several months. State Farm and Allstate say they're not writing any new homeowner insurance policies in California moving forward due to it being too expensive. And just ask a homeowner in a low-lying area of Florida, Louisiana, or the Carolinas how it's going for them. Last month, the Biden administration urged a federal judge to reject a challenge by Florida and other states to an overhaul of the national flood insurance program that has led to higher premiums for many property owners. Meanwhile, the FDIC sent out, quote, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the Federal Reserve Board, the National Credit Union Administration, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, and state financial regulators, collectively the agencies, recognize the serious impact of Hurricane Idalia on the customers and operations of many financial institutions, and will provide appropriate regulatory assistance to affected institutions subject to their supervision. The agencies encourage institutions operating in the affected areas to meet the financial services needs of their communities. The agencies encourage financial institutions to work constructively with borrowers in communities affected by Hurricane Idalia. Prudent efforts to adjust or alter terms on existing loans in affected areas are supported by the agencies and should not be subject to examiner criticism. In accordance with U.S. generally accepted accounting principles, institutions should individually evaluate modifications of existing loans to determine whether they represent troubled debt restructurings or modifications to borrowers experiencing financial difficulty as applicable. In making this evaluation, Institutions should consider the facts and circumstances of each borrower and modification. In supervising institutions affected by Hurricane Idalia, the agencies will consider the unusual circumstances these institutions face. The agencies recognize that efforts to work with borrowers and communities under stress can be consistent with safe and sound practices, as well as in the public interest. End quote. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome on to the show J.D. Powers' Craig Martin to talk about the U.S. Mortgage Servicer Satisfaction Study. Say that four times fast. He's Executive Managing Director and Head of Wealth and Lending Intelligence at J.D. Power, where he leads the team supporting wealth management, consumer lending, and auto finance industries with a focus on the evolution of what's shaping the foundation of the consumer experience. J.D. Power recently released the U.S. Mortgage Servicer Satisfaction Study that breaks the mortgage servicing experience into six factors. 
what are these factors and why are they important? Yeah, great question. So the, the six dimensions that we focus on are trust, easy to do business, keeps you informed and educated, people, digital, and resolution of questions or problems. And, and we've redesigned the study a couple of years back to make this more of a of what we call kind of a universals of customer experience and what drives customer experience because you know things change i mean obviously technology is rapidly changing there's a lot of new things that come on board but what we've learned over the years is that the fundamentals of what makes a customer happy tend to be consistent um you know making it easy to do business that can look like a lot of different things i mean if you rewind i, I always like the example of banking you know think about banking you know 20 30 years ago what was easy to do business meant you had long hours and you were open on weekends uh, and you had a good fully staffed teller line. Now you got a mobile app. Dramatically different, but the fundamentals are still true. I want to make it easy, kind of seamless experience for that customer. And I think you know the, the reason why these are so critical is you know ours is a perception study. It's what does the customer perceive? But if you think about why is that important, perceptions drive behaviors uh, and actions. So if a customer perceives you as not trustworthy, it's really hard to get them to adopt something like ACH where they're trusting you to draw on their account. Uh, so that's a critical action when they have a problem or a question. You know, Ideally, the servicer wants them to self-service first. There may be answers, quick, quick uh, data information they can provide that will avoid a call that's better for the customer, better for the company. But if I don't trust you, I'm going to pick up that phone. So it's really, you know, when you think about the dimensions and, and key elements like that, it's really impactful to business uh, at, at a higher level. And so you really, you know, why it's so critical is understanding what that customer thinks and how they're going to behave. That's very well put. So from the this most recent U.S. mortgage servicer satisfaction study, what were some notable takeaways for you? Yeah. So one of the things that really jumped out is there's a rise in percentage of people who say they're not financially healthy. So this is, you know, this is distinct from people who are delinquent or behind or unable to make payments. So we have measured different uh, metrics over the years and particularly around, you know, the risk of the customer. And and historically, what we've looked at is, are you able to make payments? Are you behind? Uh, you know, are you worried about being behind? We haven't seen that move a whole lot. But what we have uh, seen is, you know, we, we work with a financial health network uh, in, in a couple of different areas in JD Power, and we look at customers' current financial state. Uh, and what we saw is this dramatic rise in people who said they are not healthy. And, and they aren't technically telling us healthy. We ask about it of eight questions, and it, it ties back to their ability to kind of keep up with their payments, uh, overextended on credit. Uh, are they able to kind of do they have the right savings to for long term health and for short term health? So lots of different elements that go into kind of a broader financial well-being of the customer. And what we found is that over this time period, we saw a material change in that financial health that customers were experiencing. And I think this is really critical because what happens when people are financially unhealthy is they get concerned or they get worried, and then they start needing help and they need assistance. And so that change is pretty dramatic. A couple other things that we saw, one is uh, there was a, a movement in transfers. We saw a lot more transfers, uh, customers who say they were you know, serviced by one mortgage lender and now they're served by another. Um, and what's really critical there is we see in our numbers traditionally, um, you know, it's you know a lot different in terms 
of the you know the satisfaction uh, of the customer you know when they get transferred and and you can imagine it's just you know all things equal if there's a change in my servicer that disrupts things people like steady state and so uh, obviously uh, broader market conditions with you know financing and things like that um, we're finding that they are, you know, the, the customer, more customers being transferred because, you know, servicing rights are being sold and, and you know, again, the financials of, of a lot of, particularly the non-bank uh, mortgage companies, they're selling off servicing rights. As a result, you see more people getting, you know, transferred and that transfer process, all things equal, drives down satisfaction for, for the average customer. Um, so that's a really key piece. I think the final one, uh, you, you know, we're hearing more and more of this, which is problem incidents hasn't changed materially, but the type of problems and the impact and how well those are handled has been negatively impacted. And part of that is we're seeing a big jump in escrow and payments problems year over year. So part of that, you know, the financial health piece, piece comes in to, to rise here and where the customer says, you know, my payment changed, something happened. Um, you know, they're they're not able to make payments or they're struggling, so they need more information. So that's a problem. And we're seeing a lot of, you know, home price uh, increases, uh, insurance costs going up, that's impacting escrow, which is essentially a downstream impact on payments uh, and ability to make payments. So if I bought a house and I, I knew my estimated payment was going to be, you know, 1500 a month, and now due to taxes changing and insurance costs going up, I'm now looking at 1800 a month. That's a material change to the average consumer's, you know, day in out and out flows uh, of capital. And because of that, they're negatively impacted. I mean, all things equal, financial stress is going to create negative feelings in the customer. And whether you are a good servicer or not, that is irrelevant. If I feel that pressure and anxiety, I'm going to be more stressed and therefore I'm less happy. So a couple of key developments in the market that really are impacting customer experience and customer perceptions, but also have an impact on the bottom line. Yeah, I have a couple of follow-ups for you. So you, you started yeah. there by talking about financial health and ended by talking about financial stress, which are kind of one in the same. And, and obviously, as you alluded, servicers can't do much about that. You know, there is a lot of talk that the Fed's tightening is, is finally having an impact on the labor market. We're seeing the unemployment rate go up. Uh, we're seeing a little little softening in the labor market, and that's that's scaring consumers. We've seen consumer confidence wane here in uh, recent weeks. Do you anticipate the slowing economy exacerbating problems with servicers? And again, we're not seeing any. Even if if things kind of level off here, I think there's still a, a material challenge for consumers in that. Again, they're you know they're seeing you know we saw inflation, so the the costs of everyday life are going up for consumers. And again, when, whenever you're stressed about those things, whenever you're trying to figure out your budget and make things work and, and you know, con continuing to go through this cycle, you know, we've seen a lot of people are, you know, they, they save money during the pandemic. And then now that's starting to come down, we, we cover other areas like personal loans. We're seeing increased usage of personal loans and larger loans. And I think that dynamic is going to start to impact. The The good news is, I mean, I think a lot of the actions that occurred following the, the previous crash have insulated the marketplace. They've done a really good job of, of making sure you've got quality loans. So, you know, distressed borrowers, you know, there's a lot more opportunity to, to 
address those issues without going to foreclosure and, and creating really negative situations. But for you know for the foreseeable future, we would anticipate there will be a negative impact. Uh, and again, people are going to call more when they have troubles. Uh, ideally, you know, they're going to engage in different ways. Uh, and so, I think there's this opportunity, but also a challenge that's facing servicers. I mean, you're, you're expecting problems to rise. It, you know, if I can't make a payment, that's a problem. Now, if, if you got into a technical debate with a servicer, technically speaking, that's not a problem. Like, there's not a mistake. There's not an error. But from a customer standpoint, I have a problem. I can't pay you. I'm I'm struggling to make payments. I'm trying to figure out my budgeting. That's a challenge. Hey, my my escrow went up by you know a couple thousand bucks this year. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't plan for that. How do I get through that? And I think we're going to see that again. There's no signs of uh, of home prices abating materially anytime soon. You know, insurance that that, that challenge of homeowners insurance and how people are going to get covered and what's that cost. You know, that's a challenge. So I, I think, you know, for the short term, certainly there's not going to be kind of reprieve uh, and, and it will create some challenges for servicers, especially those who haven't kind of gotten ahead of the curve and engaged with clients. Uh, one of the things that we find is that, again, a, a critical part of problem problem handling is how does that customer perceive the firm? Because, you know, if I if I trust you, and you're communicating and paying attention to the messages you're sending me. So if you're sharing information that will help me be in a better financial position or tell me about options, I'm paying attention, I'm engaged, that's a good, better starting point. But if someone's coming in and saying, I don't trust these guys, I don't even know who they are, immediately they're turning into kind of negative places where maybe they're going out and gathering information from other you know, sources that aren't correct or, or appropriate or they're making decisions based on probably inaccurate information or incorrect information. So it's really critical. It's going to get more challenging. Uh, again, I don't think there's anything right now that we would see that that would indicate that in the near term, you're going to see a dramatic change in the market and you know customers' improvement in financial health. It's not like servicers can control what's going on with the economy. But let's kind of flip this around. And, and I want to ask you, what can servicers focus on doing better when it comes to things they can control? Yeah, great question. You know, I think one is early stage in the relationship, what we call kind of onboarding. There's a big opportunity. I mean, not to say that uh, customers who've been with you a long time don't have a, you know, an opportunity to re-engage. But what we found is that that early phase, and, and I'm not talking just about the, you know, if you get transferred in the first 30 days, we're talking about the first year. That's going to dictate how consumers behave and their receptivity to communications, things like that. So that's one, just making sure you're optimizing new customer onboarding. I think people lose sight of that as how critical it is because that will dictate a lot of behavior and engagement going forward. Uh, second, you know, give reasons to engage. I mean, I think, you know, if you think about financial health, like you said, servicers can't do a lot of things, but what you can do is engage and demonstrate how you can be an important part of their life. So if you know you've got payment options, it's one of the, the simple things you can do is you know, a lot of servicers now have different payment options and, and capabilities that are offered to customers. But oftentimes they just say, hey, we've got lots of payment options. And then they stop right there and they don't explain how is it helpful to the customer? How does it help them and think about financial health and and being part of their life. And I think that's a key opportunity is to demonstrate that you're not just a transactional relationship. You're not just here sitting on the sidelines waiting for their check. If you can demonstrate, hey, we have ways to help you. There's opportunities and ways to engage. 
And if they can see that, that will really benefit them in a meaningful way rather than just, you know, a lot of, if you look at it, a lot of the comments are, hey, you're just another financial services provider. You're the guy who takes the check and, or gal who takes the check. And if you get beyond that and, and you become, and again, that doesn't mean you have to be, you know, again, I think people sometimes get this notion of we're going to be some higher level, like full service, you know, everything to the customer. It's not necessarily true, but if you can demonstrate you are on their side, that you're engaged in trying to make sure they're in their best possible position, then they're going to pay attention to a lot of the tools you've got, the capabilities. I mean, I think the servicers are invested a lot in technology and capabilities and tools that are really beneficial to consumers, but it's hard to get them to pay attention and to respect those if they're not actually engaged. One thing that I found interesting in, in our dialogue back and forth before we had this interview was that servicers are, can actually be a source of financial advice to borrowers. And I wouldn't think going to my servicer for financial advice is top of mind for many people, but they certainly can offer it. So I want to close by asking you today, how can servicers be more proactive at providing financial advice to borrowers? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, obviously the banks, I would say, have a bit of an advantage here because they offer a lot of other tools and capabilities and, and they've been kind of centered in on this topic for, for a few years now. But I think in general, if you think about servicers, you think about one is helping them to budget and helping them to plan. And and again, there's no like there's no rev direct revenue stream coming out of that. But if you can communicate, so a lot of the communications that go out from servicers tend to be very technical, like, hey, we've got this capability, or here's here's your payment details. You know, it's very, uh, I would say, you know, it, it's it's not very engaging to the customer. But if you're talking to that customer, even if it's not benefiting you directly, it's i.e. they're not using, a, a, you know, another service from you. If you can point to and illustrate, hey, we're in your corner, we're helping you. So, you know, make sure you have a budget. And so it's encouraging and giving the information because you want to give the customer a reason to engage. At the at the heart of this is if I can get that consumer engaged, and why would they engage? Well, you're talking about things that matter to me. At the heart of it, if you're talking to the consumer about what matters to them on a day in and day out basis and understanding what's important to them, then it has an impact. So a simple example is you know, if you're saying, hey, you know, we need you to make your payment. Uh, well, that's, you know, that's about the servicer. They go, hey, your payments do get to us. Now, if you're communicating, hey, we understand you're working on a budget and you're looking for different ways and options to help better manage your money. Here are some opportunities for you in terms of payment options that allow you to work with your budget more effectively. And so, hey, we you can pay biweekly. So when you get your check, you can make sure that you're paying uh, and putting money away cover the most important expenses you have in your life. Here's opportunities for, you know, again, if you're thinking about like making some updates to your home, what are the most important ones to make? So you're actually talking about things that aren't directly related to the servicing, but are related to what's most critical to the customer is their home ownership. They own a home, they're invested in that, making sure that that asset retains value and is, you know, positively improved. And even just, again, hints, tips, guidance, what should you be looking for? What should you be doing? 
will really help to engage that customer. So when they have a problem, when they have a question that they need assistance that directly impacts the mortgage, they'll actually be willing and, and you know proactively coming to you because that's really the key is uh, day in and day out, people aren't spending a lot of time thinking about their mortgage payments, but they do think about their budget. They do think about how they're going to make ends meet. And so if you're engaged in a productive conversation and providing tools and information on that, that helps them to then see you as a partner. You know, even again, you're, it's not about, hey, I've got this product. It's, I've got to hand them that and then they're going to be happy. It's really about showing that you're on their side, you're committed to that. So when they have a need, when they have an, uh, you know, a problem or you know, they have a new opportunity, hey, I'm thinking about moving, what's the right thing to do? They'll take advantage of it. Which is a, a great way for you to close this interview because you started out by, by saying essentially trust is a great thing to build between clientele and institutions. And, and that really is a great way for servicers to build trust with some of their clients. Craig, I really enjoyed this interview. Thank you very much for making the time for me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. There's anxiety, isn't there always, over the Federal Reserve turning more hawkish and impacting investor sentiment, and therefore bonds and stocks. While the Fed is largely considered to be nearing the end of its hiking cycle, the terminal rate is still unknown. Federal Reserve speakers, typically the presidents of each district, are in a blackout period ahead of the FOMC meeting scheduled for next week, September 19th and 20th, which will give this week's economic reports extra weight. So, what is the financial press yammering about? Student loans having to be repaid, the latest jump in oil prices in the past few days driven by longer-than-expected production cuts by key oil nations Saudi Arabia and Russia, and data showing a tight labor market in the form of initial jobless claims falling for a fourth straight week. Think about it. Despite the rapid rise in interest rates and restrictive monetary policy, the U.S. economy remains resilient. August employment report and last week's ISM services index provided evidence that the post-pandemic economic expansion continues. The ISM non-manufacturing PMI increased from 52.7 in August to 54.5 in September, its highest level since February, highlighting continued growth in sectors accounting for the majority of U.S. economic activity such as services, mining, construction, and public administration. This series has been an expansionary territory for all of 2023. Sounded like uptalk. Uh-oh. There was a small increase in the prices paid index due to higher fuel costs, indicating that services inflation is far from returning to pre-pandemic levels. The Fed's Beige Book also reported an uptick in economic activity from July to August. However, unlike the ISM indices, the Beige Book showed inflation moderating in some parts of the country. A revision to unit labor costs, which gauges wage inflation, showed a 2.2% annualized increase, compared to the initial estimate of 1.6%, while productivity growth was revised down to 3.5% from the initial estimate of 3.7%. It is likely not the last revision for these data series from the Department of Labor, as they're difficult to measure in real time. Elsewhere, the trade deficit has narrowed over the last few months, but remains wider than pre-pandemic levels. Even with a slight decrease last week, mortgage rates have ticked back up over the last couple weeks as the market is priced in higher for longer rate expectations from the Fed, and rates are about 1% higher than the lows seen in February. Mortgage applications have declined six of the last seven weeks as higher rates erode affordability. Mortgage purchase applications reached a low last week not seen since April 1995. This week includes the $99 billion mini-refunding, 
as well as key inflation reports with CPI on Wednesday, PPI and retail sales on Thursday, and import and export prices, as well as Michigan sentiment on Friday. No Fed speakers are currently scheduled with the FOMC in blackout period ahead of the September 19th and 20th FOMC meeting. Today's economic calendar is limited to a treasury auction of $44 billion of three-year notes. We begin the week with agency MBS prices, little change from Friday, and the 10-year yielding 4.25 after closing last week at 4.26%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. We've entered the college football season, so how about some gridiron humor? How can you tell if an Auburn football player has a girlfriend? There's tobacco juice on both sides of the pickup truck. What do you get when you put 32 Arkansas cheerleaders in one room? A full set of teeth. This just sounds like it's ragging on the south, so let's, I guess, go up north. The SEC had a bad enough weekend with Alabama and Texas A&M both losing. University of Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh is only going to dress half of his players for the game this week. The other half will have to dress themselves. Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Simple Nexus, an Encino company, makers of the mortgage technology suite that unites the people, systems, and stages of the mortgage process into one seamless end-to-end solution. Learn more at simplenexus.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.